Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White, joined today by Dr. Bob Larson, Dr. Philip Lancaster, and we've got Dr. Brian Lubers on the segment as well. Good morning, guys. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Brad. Happy to have you guys with us and happy to have you with us as well as we're we're going to jump into a couple topics today. And, and one of them is we're going to talk about when to wean and what we know about the timing of weaning, as well as answer a listener question on estrus synchronization. And then we've got Dr. Lubers and the rest of us with Dr. Twig Marston, who rejoined us today because we didn't get a chance to follow up with some of the things that we talked about last week. And we wanted to talk a little bit more about that transition diet and the importance thereof. So before we get into those things, guys, it's that time of year. It is starting to be fall. It's getting a little bit cooler. The It's not light quite as long. And when you get home, it doesn't stay light very long. And the pies are changing, right? With the changing of the leaves, you see some different pies. I go out to eat with Larson the other day. We go to a cheeseburger place and he has to order pumpkin pie with his cheeseburger. Oh, you bet. Yeah, you can't. I mean, if, if there's cheese, or if there's cheeseburgers, if there's pumpkin pie available, basically if there's pie available, I'm going to get it. No, pumpkin, I was with you, Ed, if there's cheeseburgers, if you have the choice between, so <laughs> if you have the choice between cheeseburgers and pumpkin pie, I'm going cheeseburgers every so day. No, you go both. Oh, no. Go both. Pie. <laughs> or, yeah, or both. But I own pie. Oh, oh, there's no way. Well, we appreciate you you joining us. And, and sending those listener questions is great because we like to have a chance to talk about things that are important to you. And we try to summarize those and some of the answers, and we'll put them out. We've got a weekly email newsletter that goes out. If you're interested in signing up for that, or if you're interested in, in participating in those listener questions, you can always send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. But the first topic I wanted to jump into today, guys, is is when to wean. And, and I'll say one of the things when we think about the kind of the average or what's an appropriate time to wean, often we'll go back to some of the numbers that are thrown out. And there's some people will adjust to a 205 day weaning weight. And we ask why 205 days? And actually, many years ago, there was a study done and they asked people, when do they wean their calves? And the average was 205 days. It doesn't mean that was the biologically appropriate time to be at six and a half months, but it, it certainly is what we see as more of a standard. So I wanted to ask you guys, what's the best time to wean calves? And let's think about springborn calves. Yeah, well, that, that 205 days isn't, isn't a bad target. And I think that that's going to be a, probably an average for a lot of the country, but, but that should be just an average in that, you know, there's a lot of year to year variation. Um, and, and I think when to wean should be based a lot on, you know, the forage um, availability, uh, the, the rainfall that you've had this year, because not only am I thinking about this year's calf's performance and, and they need forage to grow because they're not getting much milk from their mothers out here at six months since they calved. Um, and so that forage quality really impacts their growth, but then also uh, residual forage for next year, you know, how much to leave on the pasture to think about next year. I don't want to overgraze. And my calves are, you know, they're, they're half as big as their mother, if not more. And so they're, they're pulling a lot of forage off that land. So I, I'm okay with an average of 205 days, but I think producers should, should basically make a, a decision that's unique for each year's situation. Well, yeah, I kind of agree with you, Bob. I think there's, there's lots of things to think about when, when's the appropriate time to wean and and if we think about nutrition from um, uh, the calf's perspective, we'll start there is 
you know, like you said, milk production is waning and that calf is relying heavily on forage. Um, and so if my forage base is declining in quality, say with a warm season grass here um, for spring calving uh, cows, then the, the nutrient intake of that calf is, is really low and he's not gaining very much weight. And so I may be better off to wean him earlier than that, you know, six, seven month target and, and background him a little bit or, you know, give him some supplemental feed or, or whatever. Um, well, he's like that too. Go ahead. I think you guys are missing he's, he, he's like a teenager though. He's ready to grow like crazy. And if he's not getting the, the nutrients he needs, you're really kind of missing an opportunity there. Wow, I yeah, think and, you're missing a, kids, pro, a point really of efficient. Yeah. I think what, what about uh, marketing plans? Oh, well, yeah. how does that how does that play into because you guys are talking about, well, we're going to get these weight on these calves and we may wean them and keep them at home. But if I'm going to wean them and sell them directly versus keep them at home, does that change your timing? Yeah, it, it does. And of course, we don't have Dustin here today to correct us. But, um, you know, in, in typical cattle prices are a lot supply and demand. And there's a lot of wean calves on the market here uh, in the fall. And so sometimes from a marketing standpoint, there's an advantage of holding them over and, and putting some weight on them. If, if I can get, uh, you know, some good cost-effective locally grown feed, so I don't have to truck it in from a long distance and really put some weight on them and then sell them a couple of months later than everybody else, that can be an advantage. If I wean early, I might hit a pretty good price window, but they're going to be lighter too. So you really do have to put a pencil to paper to look at um, not only the expenses that you're going to put into those calves, um, but also the income you're going to get based on, uh, you know, hitting the market right and the weight that you'll be selling them at. Yeah. As we talked before, you know, forage is still going to be your base, even though you're going to supplement them, whether, you know, and so how much forage available do you have kind of dictates that to some degree when you may market them, if you have the opportunity to keep them or not, if you're, if you're short on forage. Let's talk, let's talk efficiency, and, and I want to ask both you guys, as we think about those calves, and you've mentioned a couple times, so lactation is waning, he's getting less nutrition from milk, but he's still getting some, and he's still grazing forage at this point. Am I better from an efficiency standpoint, even if I keep him on forage, let's say I'm going to keep him on grass, am I better to go ahead and wean him so he starts to digest grass a little more efficiently, or am I better to leave him on the cow? You know, that's a tough question. I mean, he's he's going to digest grass. And I don't think that's going to affect his ability to digest grass. I mean, his rumen is, at this point, his rumen is fairly well developed and he's digesting grass um, appropriately. I think it it's more of a factor of that stress of weaning and how long it takes him to get over that stress and the weight loss or the lack of weight gain it's going to occur during that stress period of if I pull, go ahead and pull him off the cow. If I'm not going to keep him around long enough for him to get over that stress and, and recover that lost weight, um, then I'm better off to leave him on the cow, I think, than, uh, than to, to wean him. So back, yeah, to, back like, to our marketing plan yeah, makes a it, difference. It, the marketing plan does matter, but I do like to wean these calves off the cow. I think sometimes we overestimate how much, they're gain, how much those calves are gaining this time of year if the forage quality is poor. Um, and, and I think I get several benefits. One is I, I remove that calf from the cow. So any energy that she is putting towards lactation is gone. So it allows her to, um, put some weight on herself headed into the winter. 
that calf, I can get him on a better plane of nutrition. And, and, you know, this is a great place to put him on some, you know, annual, uh, uh, grass or something like that, or put him, uh, on a, you know, on a forage base, but with a supplement and he'll grow better. I like, I think sometimes we lean, leave calves out there too long, but I, you know, there are times when that may be the best option, but I think sometimes we leave calves out there too long and both them and the cow would, both the calf and the cow would benefit uh, from an earlier weaning. And I think to your point there, Bob, one of the, I remember from when I was in practice and we were talking about weaning at seven months here in this discussion could be a little more, a little less. And I can remember spring calvers and we had one in particular that was weaning in December and they moved their weaning date up a month to the 1st of November and their weaning weight stayed the same. Now there's some year to year variability, right. but I think once you get to a certain point when that forage isn't providing much and the milk isn't providing much that they're maintaining. So figuring out what works for your operation is really important is really what's important and don't just do the same thing. And what I heard you guys say earlier is have the ability to be flexible in your plan based on the forage availability, based on the rainfall we've received, and based on my plan for marketing those calves. Am I going to hold them at home for a while? Am I going to get them weaned and get that recovery weight back on, as Philip mentioned? Or am I going to take them directly to the sale, in which case I may have a different answer on the on the time to wean. So we're going to follow up more. We know it's that time of year. People are thinking about weaning. We'll follow up more in the next few weeks about some other topics relative to weaning. But I want to completely shift gears here and let's start thinking about spring. And we had a good listener question and, and Bob, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you how I would apply this type of thinking right now in the fall as we're in preg check time. But the question was, okay, we've got a lot of talk about ester synchronization and tightening the breeding season, getting calves born early in the season and the importance. However, some of those ester synchronization programs are really, I'll say, not, not overly complex, but they require a lot of effort in getting the cattle through the chute multiple times. And, and this listener's suggestion was, what if we just start simple and take a small step and we do a simple program like a one shot of a prostaglandin, which would get about two thirds of the cows to come in heat at about the same time. So not perfect synchronization and then just put a bull in. So it saves a lot of steps, but it moves us in the right direction. What are your thoughts on that approach, Bob? Well, I, I think that is a, an interesting concept and, and one that we should talk a little bit about. Because when I was in veterinary practice, we we had several clients that did exactly that. You just do a uh, prostaglandin injection at the day or the day before the bulls go out and um, and try to kind of get more of those cows early. I'm going to correct one thing you said, though. You said you'd get two-thirds of the cows um, to respond to that injection. And I'm going to say you would get two-thirds of the cows that are cycling. And that's the key because um, with just a simple prostaglandin, one-time prostaglandin injection, I don't get any jump starting. Many people are aware of the term. If we use a progestogen like a cedar insert or MGA in the feed, you can get some cows to start cycling earlier than they would have otherwise. With a single shot of prostaglandin, you don't get that benefit. So it'd be two-thirds of the cows that are cycling. Well, which cows are cycling? Basically, the cows that calved in the first 30 to 35 days of the calving season are the only ones that have a really good shot at cycling, and not even all of them will. And so in the herds where I saw this type of a strategy work really well, 
gosh, most of the, you know, 75, 80% of the cows had calved in the first 30 days. And this strategy worked great. If 30% of the cows had calved in the first 25 to 30 days, uh, this, this protocol isn't going to work very good. So it, it really does work well in some herds, but not in others. So, so a lot of what you're saying there is, and you, and you gave several percents, but the take home message that you're saying is if the cows are cycling, this will work on about two thirds of them, but you have to have enough of your herd cycling to have it make sense. So if I do it too close to calving, they're in that, we've talked about that postpartum interval before, then they may not be cycling and this is not gonna help them start cycling. All this does is synchronizes when they would come into estrus. Correct. So why talk about this now in the fall mm. if I'm thinking about implementing it in the spring? Well, I'll give you my answer and then Philip can give you his answer. And one is I like to do a preg check now when I can kind of estimate, well, what percentage of the cows are pregnant so that they can calve in the first or are likely to calve in that first 30 days or so of the calving season. A lot of times your veterinarian uh, can, can put cows into those early calving groups or later calving groups. And so right now you would start having an idea of, is this going to work for my herd by are most of the cows in that early stage? Um, and maybe I'll even manage those cows differently. And, and maybe one of the things I could do is maybe my, I've got a, a lower percentage of my total herd that's going to calve in the first 30 days. But if I've got a fairly good subset that's going to calve early, well, maybe this type of a protocol would work just on that subset of the herd. So you can start making some planning uh, now based on the where, where the cows are expected to calve. Now, the caveat is, of course, they need to calve in good body condition. So between here and now, uh, if, if between here and calving and then breeding, uh, body condition and, and nutrition is going to be really important. Yeah, and so that, that body condition at calving is what dictates that postpartum interval to a large degree. And so, um, you know, this is the time of year that we're planning our winter supplementation, you know, giving, figuring out our, our uh, feed choices and, and what we're, we're, we're booking feed ahead. And so we need to plan on making sure that we've got as many of those cows in a good body condition score, you know, five to six at calving so that they're able to um, come back into heat quickly and then that protocol has a chance to work because if we don't do that then that protocol is is going to I want to say fail but it's not going to perf perform not, the way we want it to and not so it's going to be as impressive as what we were hoping exactly and so so we've got to we've got to do the upfront work first before we um, see the success, success of that protocol so a couple of things that you guys said that I may clarify and you can make sure that I'm getting it right. But Bob, one of, one of the things that you mentioned, yes, it's the time of year for preg checking. And if I want to know if my synchronization program is going to work and maybe moreover the time that I should implement that synchronization program, I can, I can predict that a little bit now if I preg check, but if I preg check at a time that I can stage those pregnancies, mm -hmm. right? So I yeah. need to know who's going to be, who's going to be born early in that calving season. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And I'm actually better at uh, predicting the, the approximate time a cow is going to calve the earlier I preg check her. Um, you know, if I wait until the last couple of months before she calves, um, I know she's very heavily pregnant, but I don't know which months she's going to calve. Whereas if I preg check kind of as early as I can, 
I'm pretty good at telling whether they're going to calve in the first 20 days, the second 20 days, the third 20 days or whatever. So um, getting that preg check done early enough where you can get as much information as possible, something I really like to do. Yeah, absolutely. And also in retrospect, it can let me, if I did a sync program this last year, I can evaluate it. And like Philip was saying, it's sometimes those sync programs work better or not, but we've been a big advocate of using numbers to evaluate, did it work? What did it make sense or not? And we've had some of those conversations and I'm sure we will again, relative to the value of those synchronization programs to commercial operations. And, and Bob, you have put it well in the past, those that are front end loaded uh, or have most of their calves born early have the greatest chance of success with a synchronization program. And that synchronization, pro as far as getting the cows bred, and that can keep them moving forward. So we have appreciated that discussion. And I did want to get a chance and leave time so that we can follow up with uh, Dr. Twig Marston because we had a continuing conversation with him that we didn't get to finish last week. Last week, we were lucky enough to have Dr. Twig Marston from Hubbard Feeds, a division of Alltech, on the podcast with us. And, and honestly, as we got to talking, we ran out of time before we ran out of stuff to talk about. And we had a couple more questions, a really important topic. We were talking about transition diets after you wean calves at home. And we talked about the amount to get them to gain. And we said, our replacement heifers, we may be targeting a pound to a pound and a half, depending on how long they have till breeding so they don't get too fleshy. Our steers, we were targeting for a little bit higher gain, but we also didn't want them to get too fleshy before sale. But we didn't get a chance to really dig into what were some of the some of the areas of how we're going to get that done. And so we wanted to have Twig back and we've got Twig and, and Dr. Lancaster here as our nutritionist on the hot seat, because I know Dr. Lubers last week, you said you had a couple burning questions. So we've got them back. Ask away, my friend. Yeah, I, I did have a couple of questions and I I'll, I think I'll keep them fairly easy because if it's nutritionist on the hot speed seat today, I'm worried about veterinarian on the hot seat tomorrow. So, um, so my first question is um, specifically for a situation where cattle might be going to a feed yard. Is the, is the diet more important or is it the breaking into bunk feeding more important? I'd say I'll take that one to start with. And then Philip, you can sure add some more to it, but I, I, they're both important, right? Uh, what the composition of the diet is and, and what you're going to do, but you got to remember when those cattle get to a yard, what's the first thing they're going to do to them. They're probably going to unload them into a pen. That's got uh, loose hay full in the bunk, right? And they're going to try to get the fill back on those cattle. And so uh, if, if you're retained ownership, and, and you're trying to go to the yard, you know, you want to get your, you want to control your shrink. Well, even if they're sold cattle, you want to control your shrink on those cattle and get that shrink back because those are lost pounds. And the quicker you can get that shrink back, uh, the better off you're going to be. But the other thing you want to do is you want to make sure those cattle can come in and, and, and they know where a bunk is or, or, or how there's, how feed's going to be presented to them so that they're used to that. You know, you want them to, to take off and go. And so Brian, I think they're both important and, and they both can be accomplished at the same time, you know, by how you take care of them at home and th those kind of things. If they're big yearling cattle or they're cattle that are getting up in size, they're going to have an appetite that's going to let them 
a lot of times go to that bunk and, and go ahead and stick their head in it and find it and, and get after it, you know, because they've got appetite. Uh, the ones that really concern me, I'll just tell you right now, guys, the ones that concern me is, you know, there's a lot of talk in the industry now about uh, dairy uh, beef cross calves and stuff like that. And we're talking about bringing cattle in that are 300, 350, 400 pounds a lot of times to a commercial setting. And those can be a challenge. You know, then it then it really gets to be, uh, do they have the social aspect to know how to eat? And then the other thing is, what are they eating and what, what have they been eating? And how can you, how can you prime that, uh, that gut to be able to take that on that, that, that long, cause it's going to be a long feeding period on those. Okay. So the bigger they are, the easier it is, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, and my follow-up to that, and I kind of thought that's what you'd say, but my follow-up to that is, okay. So if, if both are important and the composition of the feed is important, what do I do or how do I transition calves if um, I have limited resources for either feed storage or feed mixing and delivery? So if I'm a, I'm a pretty simple operation, how, how would I manage that transition? Well, I think, so you, you get to figure out kind of what your options are um, as far as, as how to store, you're going to have to store some kind of feed and, you know, if, if you got to buy sack feed from the local feed mill, that's going to be pretty tough to make a, a profit on preconditioning those kids um, in that situation. So you need to figure out some kind of inexpensive way to be able to store bulk feed. You know, maybe that's a an old gravity flow wagon. Maybe you want to put up a three ton um, bulk feed bin or something like that that are, you know, they're relatively inexpensive. Um but you want to do something to where you can can handle feed in bulk um, and not have to, not have to buy sack feed um, to start with. And then if you know you, you want to have probably put something together that the local feed mill can mix for you. If you don't have very good mixing capabilities, you know we're probably doing something where we get free choice hay and we're providing the the grain portion or the concentrate portion in the bunk by itself. So in that case, you know when those two things are separate. You know, I probably don't want something that's got a whole lot of starch in it um, because you can have calves that overeat uh, the grain portion and, and don't get the right balance when you don't have that ration completely mixed together with the forage and the grain in the bunk. Yeah, Brian, I'll just tell you, it's really easy for a nutritionist to, to make decimal points. And so when we put diets together, you know, we can make decimal points to where you need to measure with a teaspoon and you have a front end loader to actually uh, mix the feed with, you know, to measure the feed with or a five gallon bucket. And so, so you've got to have some safety involved in, in knowing what system you've got, but also uh, the ability now that we have with like corn byproducts and some of those kind of things, it's made starting cattle a lot easier. Uh, than it used to be because now we can get energy concentration and protein at the same time yeah, in a absolutely. safe package. And I, and I think that the key, and you guys are bringing it up and my simple, simple nutrition understanding and to your point, Twig is there's the, there's the diet that we make on paper. There's the diet that we actually put in the bunk. And then there's the only important one, which is what the cattle actually eat. Right. So if they have the ability exactly. to sort through or eat something different. So I appreciate your input and I really appreciate you coming back because we didn't have a chance to to get through all this stuff. And uh, Dr. Twig Marston from 
Hubbard feeds a division of all tech and appreciate him making a little extra time to join us and finish up a topic that we didn't get through last time. Thanks Twig. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's, it's a fun team. Thanks for joining us on BCI Cattle Chat today, and we appreciate you listening. And we, as always, we enjoy having feedback from you as well as questions. And you can always send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm -hmm.